this is episode 125 of Parenting with a Focused Mindset. Today, you get to listen into our part two of the conversation I had with Dr. Brett Zaromsky. He is a professor. He travels all over the world inspiring educators to look at kids as individuals and help them thrive. He's going to talk to us today about the hope scale, about how to set true goals, how to truly motivate kids and meet them where they're at in order for them to succeed. He has some amazing stories of when he was a school counselor. I'm looking forward to jumping into this. If you haven't listened to the part one, jump back to episode 124. You're going to want to listen to that. And another precursor to this episode is the episode that I did on hope a few weeks ago. That's titled Hope is Stronger Than Motivation. And you're going to find that in episode 116. I talk about hope a lot on this podcast, as well as finding peace and also tying it all in with our solution-focused practices. But I wanted to remind you that Brett gave us access to the Hope Scale, and I have it on my website right now. Hop over to thefocusedmindset.com, and you can easily do a self-evaluation if hope is beginning to drop in your life and your kids, or you can use this scale to identify the areas that your child and you might be needing to build up hope. So hop over there and take advantage of that. And um, and you'll see all the many other resources that we have there. I'd love for you to join my email community. I'm going to be sending out a copy of this scale along with some other resources all summer long and into the fall. So let's listen to this part two of this conversation about hope and helping children grow. Welcome to Parenting with the Focused Mindset. I'm your host, Cher Kretz. I'm a school counselor and a family mindset coach. I know that raising kids is quite the journey and doesn't always turn out as we planned. Here, we talk about the solution-focused approach. We learn how to celebrate when things are going well and how to deal with the many challenges that families face. Don't forget to hit subscribe, download, follow so you don't miss any of the family-oriented, solution-focused content that I put out for you right here each and every week. Listening to this podcast will help you be the best version of yourself in your home, and with the people you love. Let's take a step back and talk about how we might identify if a child is lacking hope and that that might be the indicator of their, or the root of their um, issue of of lacking success. Sure. So there's a, um, again, the book, so how they have a hope uh, continuum. And so, uh, on the continuum, there's kind of four levels. So the, the top level is hope and, and then you get into actual, the second level is like rage. So if you feel like, you know, your kids are angry all the time, then it's likely that we haven't been setting goals together. Uh, and I think we've talked about there's a, a goal setting program that the, the district has called True Goals that all the school counselors have access to. It, you know, easy to do at home too. Like it's free access. You know, they can get, people can contact you for it. And if you need it, I can give it to you. But As it's just, a matter of fact, they can, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so if you're, 
if your kids or if you as an adult are, and I think about this across the country, you know, people, we see people just enraged on social media. We see them angry all the time. And I think that's the, the level the authors describe it as the, the goals are significantly blocked. And so people are wanting something or they're saying they think that they want something, but then the, the, um, they're not being able to act on it. And so they're, they're seeing that kind of a downward, downward spiral of, of not being able to give themselves uh, momentum towards achieving that goal. Below that second level, so like anger, rage, that second level, third level is despair. And so despair happens when you have all the um, the willpower, but you don't have a pathway. And so when people are falling into despair, you can see them, you know, wanting um, to move towards things, but they don't have a pathway to accomplish it. And then so people are kind of stuck. Uh, so that you see them stuck, and so you'll start seeing that hope being lost a little bit more and more. And so then the bottom level is apathy. And those are the kids, and you walk into a room, uh, if you're in a classroom, and they got their heads down, their heads on their, their arms. They're not asleep, because the kids that are asleep, um, those are the ones that need sleep at night. And so something's going on at night, right? We get figured out. But these are the kids that are just disengaged. They're apathetic. These are the ones that um, everywhere that I go across the country, people will say, I need to get my kids more motivated. And I'll say, what? Tell me about what you mean by that. Like, they're just not engaged. They're not motivated. They're not, you know. And so then my, my thought is always like, well, what kind, what, how, what level of hope do they have? Like, are they at all seeing a future? Um, do they see a present? Like, what is it that, so without hope, there's no motivation. And so I think that, that people that are like driving into motivation for me, we need to take a step back and look at hope, uh, and, and start investing in that hope. So I think when you're saying, how do we know the levels of hope? You know, those are the signs that we can see, like, externally. And then you, again, there's just all these little measures that you can give to actually assess hope. But I think when you see people that are hopeful, you're going to see visuals of that hope with enthusiasm and optimism, energy, um, starting to see pathways. Uh, even if the pathways are slightly blocked, then you start seeing people being resilient and problem-solving and moving around those blocks, uh, persisting. So resilience is, uh, and success is a sign of hope. And I would imagine every resilient person can name multiple cheerleaders in their life that helped invest in them. Uh, and so you can see how that increased their willpower. You know, I find it so interesting because uh, apathy is the lowest kids maybe or in anybody. Really, this goes for humans. But oh, yeah. speaking about yeah. kids, um, we mentally they've gone through these levels sometimes completely undetected, you know, because uh, maybe they just get angry at night before they go to bed or they quietly hide it. Or maybe when they get angry, the, the parents or the people around them are like, oh, they just have an anger issue or something like this. And then they might move to having rageful moments and that might be diagnosed as something different as well as, you know, it, all of these type of things. But then when they get to apathy, they get a knock on the counselor's door. They're not trying. They don't care. And how interesting for us to put this puzzle piece together to say, let's try and hit this earlier, people. If they don't see a pathway towards a hopeful future, then they begin to slowly but surely internally shut down, basically, essentially. Mm-hmm. Especially um, the fourth level. Right. Right. But by the, by the time they get to that point, and they knock on a counselor's door, then 
we really have the problem of possibly diagnosing the wrong problem because we begin to go in there. How can we motivate them to do things? <laughs> and it's like they don't actually need motivated to learn math. They need to find their hope that they've lost. And once they find that hope, motivation will come alongside of it. And I think by this picture, even though it, it talks about the negative side of it, we need to visually have that on our, the forefront of our mind to say, wait a minute. Now, I need to have a discussion, a different type of discussion with this child so they can see a path towards success. You know, yeah. you imagine a child that's had they see a report card after report card after report card and they're all for it. We've sat in front of a child and they've been like, I don't care. I'm not going to try because why should they? It's just going to be an F again. You raise, um, you know, one of the, the first characteristics of the true goals intervention is the student gets to set their own goal. And I think that is the first place where adults just mess up when they're trying to infuse hope or is that we apply our priorities to the kids. And and our goals are like, all right, you're going to get one less D or one less F or you're going to, like, that's our goal. They don't, like you just said, they don't care about that. And so what what I love about true goals is it says, what do you want your goal to be? And, and they say, I want to play more video games. So they're like, great. So that's your goal. So like you just start with what the kids goals are. If it's like whatever that is, you and then you have faith in the process. And later in the process, you get back to the other things and you they see how that can be applied to academics and to their future and other things like that. But if we start with adult goals. We never instill hope in kids. Let's talk a little bit more about what we can do to build hope in the life of a child. Yeah, you bet. I mean, I think first. I, I always want to ask the the kids what their experiences are, like what's going on for them. Um, so asking open-ended questions, uh, I think, you know, the, the key things that people can do from the counseling realm is to avoid those why questions and ask the how questions and what questions and, um, and, and just be open-ended and actually listen and engage and be empathetic. And I think that uh, we we frame it as a skill, not will issue when we're talking about trauma-informed care. It's having that belief and the knowledge that when kids have experienced lots of traumas and um, it actually affects our DNA, it affects our uh, neural processing. And so it's not a, a will. Kids that are angry, they're, if they're rageful, if they're apathetic, it's not something that that's not an enjoyable state to live in. And so understanding that we really are trying to rebuild skills. We're trying to rebuild ways of interacting with the world. So being empathetic about that and not um, not projecting our own kind of experiences or expectations on the kids, but, but living with where they're at. So I think asking opening questions and really listening, empathizing, kind of the, it goes back to being positive and affirming solution-focused approaches work really well with this. Um, helping students identify small things, kids in their lives, small things that they can take control of and ownership of, and really building that out focusing on self-efficacy, um, you know, being able to build out little skills that they can uh, start gaining on it, and then being hope-centered. So as we're talking to them, we're thinking about willpower and weight power. So we're, we're talking about what is it that they're able, even just today, um, one of the, the the kind of a jokingly I said at, a, um, at the keynote, it's like it was early in the morning. I know they had been out the night before, but somehow they made it there. Like, how did you make it here? You know, and some some of them kind of staggered in. And yep. some of the other people were like, you know, second cup of coffee already. And other people were there super early, depending on their their approach to the previous evening. But everyone got there. And so how is it that they had both the willpower and the pathway to even just get there? And like, I love how, that. 
you know, how do we create those small wins and, and keep investing in our kids um, every single day? And then being transparent about social determinants of health and adverse childhood experiences and the traumas and the systems in which our kids are, are, are living that they did not create, but that are intentionally designed to create barriers to them and be oppressive for them. They have no responsibility for that, yet they're living the experience of being punished by that. And so being transparent and, and real about uh, the effect that that has on their lives and and the, the need for hope to simply overcome that uh, and having the ability to overcome that almost liberation theory uh, as we hopefully those of us that have more power attack the systems and try to get them to be more equitable. Um, so I think there's a lot of layers. Yeah. And I mean, and we have more layers to dig in, but I think it's so funny what you just said, because us as adults, when we're going someplace and we have a lot that went on the night before, you can say that to adults and everyone gets a chuckle. But how come we don't say that more often to a kid that's dragging in and they're late to school? You know, how come it's not like another tardy slip, get to school and that people are looking at them like, oh, they're the late ones. You know, how about I am so glad you're here. It's amazing that you made it, you know, because. Yeah. We don't know what kind of obstacles they had to endure just between the time when they woke up to the time they got to our front door. Absolutely. I, you know, I remember one of the small things that we did with our, our first grader. Um, I tell this story in class all the time. You know, I walked down and I learned, looked to my left and I saw, um, you know, somebody walking with a baby on their hip and they had like the mom walk, you know, like where you have that, the baby hip kind of um, sure. back and forth. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, that's so, wait. And it was one of my first graders. Like she was taking care of the baby as mom was in for a parent teacher conference. And mom was working three jobs and taking care of the family. And the first grader who was, you know, six, seven years old was getting up and helping take care of the baby in the morning. So she got to school exhausted. And what's the, like, what are we going to invest? What's the goal there? Like what's the, and, and talking to her, it was really just getting her an alarm clock. Like she could, she owned it. Like she, was able to do this. She was able to help the family. The family was a team, was incredibly powerful and resilient. And she got up a little bit earlier and got to school a little bit. And she went to sleep a little bit earlier. And she, you know, they problem solved it together in a way that empowered them as a family and yet acknowledged the systemic effect that was requiring mom to work three jobs to put food on the table. Um, and, and that that was not anything that, that was their fault or responsibility. And yet they had to overcome those barriers that um, that I certainly have not ever had to overcome. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and I think, it, yeah, it comes back to the beginning of us saying we're going to be empathetic enough to find what that real problem is so we can actually instill hope in them. Because you could say to that first grader all you want, hey, you're not going to learn how to read if you keep falling asleep. Okay. You know, and that is the mistake we make. It's not that that was a horrible sentence to say, but in that case, it's kind of a horrible sentence to say because they are not the ones that are creating the system that they're involved in. They are living in that system. So right. in, your, in your analogy there, that's such a perfect analogy that we could put towards so many things in our life is let's think about our goal. Our goal is to get to school on time. Let's back, backward plan this to where you can be successful. So you can see a pathway towards success. And then it's amazing what people can do when their mind is open to that. Her assets and strengths as a seven-year-old were so much greater than mine as a middle schooler, probably, or a high school. I mean, she is incredible. And I mean, not, she wasn't adultified, which is also, a, you know, a danger. Um, she was equipped. And I think that 
that's another key that that we really want to think about as families and as parents is focusing on the assets and the strengths. And solution focus, again, if we bring it back to that, does that really well. And I think deficit thinking and problem talk is not it's not actually really helpful to building hope. Um, you you may want to identify an issue, but you most likely can uh, navigate that building on assets and strengths and existing resources. And I think that ex- that helps with the cheerleading uh, and the willpower part of it. And then we're going to have to work together to, to, to find those pathways. For the yes, willpower. exactly. But isn't that great when you come alongside this little girl that actually had everything within her to do it? Oh yeah. She's amazing. The alarm clock, you know, the alarm clock. It's like this, these are so, it's just such, it's, it's simple, but it's not simple in our mind. We complicate it, you know, but really just saying, is this person, you know, is my child, is my student lacking in a hope that they could ever succeed? And if they are, what is it that they need to see that little glimmer of hope? And then what's crazy is you've seen it. I've seen it. It's like the natural desire and, and all the goodness within that child. It just begins to like take over, you know, yeah. let's give people the credit that they are able, which, you know, solution focus, you are the author of your own life and you are an expert of your own life. Let's believe that our kids can be the expert of their own life. What we can do is come alongside them. And I'm just, I was so excited when, when I was, when you, when we were in our training together and I was listening saying, yes, we need, we have like, like like-minded people working towards helping these individuals be the best that they can be these little adults in training (laughs) if you will um i mean you might you might not have access to a whole scale i mean i say get the book that you just said and then we'll all be able to be a lot smarter with it but we can begin to rise their level of hope just by doing the things that we're talking about if you partner with the teacher let's say that we're talking to um two people that are going to have a discussion to help a child right? Let's talk about what might be a solution focus slash hope building conversation that you would suggest that uh, would be more helpful, you know, because we see, we can picture the one that's not so helpful. Hey, you know, she's not getting to school on time. I need her to stop falling asleep. Well, I tell her to wake up all the time and she doesn't. Honey, you need to get to school. See the teacher's unhappy with you. And then here we go with the problem talk. Can you think of something you can leave with our parents and educators listening today to help them have better conversations towards hope? Well, I think that, you know, when we start with solution focus talk, anytime that we hear somebody using problem talk or deficit language, we try to figure out what the opposite of that is. And, and I think that's probably a great place to start. So, you know, if, if the teacher was frustrated by, um, the lack of motivation, you know, we, we could say like, well, tell us what it looks like when they are motivated. You know, like what, how would you know that Cheryl was motivated in your class? Like what would that actually look like? You know, can you tell me more about that? I'm, I'm not in here to see my son or daughter or whomever is, is here. Like, you know, how are we, um, what are you looking for so that you can get on the same page as to what their goal is? And then, you know, the teacher's goals can often be accomplished with, with partnership with our students if we then kind of sometimes with the teacher, but sometimes not with the teacher, unpack what our students' goals are. So again, not adopting those teacher goals uh, as our students' goals. But I remember, um, for example, my assistant principal, would, she and I got to an agreement over time. It was a long conversation, but she would send kids that were 
having consequences for behavior at school to me afterwards. The agreement was I didn't punish, and I, you know, when they got to me, I simply asked, man, it seems like a tough day. What's going on? And that's it. So, I mean, even after that teacher conversation, you know, I would have a conversation with my child saying, so you heard what the teacher said. You heard what their goals are for you. Like, what are your thoughts about that? Like, what, why do you, you know, like, you could ask a wire question, like, why do you think they want that for you? Like, what's going on? Uh, how is that a priority for them? You know, what is, is this a priority for you? Like, what's, and I think just asking those opening questions as much as possible, not just automatically putting the teacher goals on the student, but what's going to happen is if students' goals tend to be around social connection, you know, um, when we ask kids what they want, especially like if you ask a middle schooler, like their whole world is relationships. So, so acknowledging that the priorities for kids are going to be kid priorities. And, and even if we ask a fifth grader or a sixth grader, I mean, a, a fifth grader, a five year old or a six year old, like what's going on? They're going to tell you what's going on in the playground or somebody's not sharing their crayons or someone's, you know, and so acknowledging that the goals of a five year old are going to be different than the goals of the teacher. The goals of an eight year old or a 12 year old or a 16 year old are going to probably be very different than the adult. So working back from again, what is it that our kids want? I would often ask my kids that came to counseling, like, what do you want? What is it that you want? And and then if our kids get what they want, they get positive social relationships with peers. If they get engagement with extracurricular activities, a lot of times a sense of meaning in things, you know, that is going to create a sense of goals. Like where do they want to thrive? Where do they want to contribute? Where do they want to be seen? How do they want to be seen? You know, who who do they want to be in the world? Those types of things then create in my mind, pathways for who they want to become, and then they can create that willpower to achieve that. I think it's a mistake when we uh, try to push our own priorities onto our kids. Um, and so those teacher conversations with, again, with teachers, if we're talking about what should teachers be doing in the classroom, it's not, it's not a guessing game. We know that teachers can build protective factors. They can build hope by building positive relationships. So prioritizing that relationships, prioritizing that culture in their classroom, want to be an acceptance. Like you said, not punishment, maybe restorative circles, restorative practices, helping people learn how to problem solve. Um, again, these are the things that we know from research lead to future life success anyway. And these are also the skills that employers want. So if we're talking about backwards design from being employed, these are the same skills. So I think that um, keeping that kind of unpacking of what the characteristics are of hope and looking at those willpower and waypower as you're having conversations with people and then maybe having a more personal conversation with your child later uh, would probably be more successful than saying everybody wants you there on time. Yeah. So the first, uh, I like the way that you first said is it let's look at the times when they are doing this right. You know, if, if we can even just, we could have probably stopped there and it would be an amazing step forward. Um, is if we more often come together as adult, the adult minds that are trying to help this child and just identify when they are doing it right. And we will be able to find it when we think about it. Because um, when we say, oh, they always are hitting people. Well, no, they're not constantly, constantly hitting people. So let's find the times when they're not. So the power of whatever negative behavior that we're trying to quote unquote correct, um, when are they doing it right? And then circling back to the child and saying questions like, what do you want? What's actually going on with you? What, where are you at in your life to be able to have them validated, right? 
And then I like the way you basically ended up is saying, what is our ultimate goal? Future success, that they're able to be uh, hired by employees and keep a job, whatever that job may be, and that they have the character that they're able to do that. I think if we keep that in mind in our conversations and then, of course, engaging the child, but it all starts with where we are. We Our influence on the children uh, should not be um, forgotten about just because we're trying to help them. We have to remember that the things that we do actually put them on a path towards having this willpower and way power. So um, it's such an important conversation that we've been able to have here. I appreciate it so much. There's so many nuggets of wisdom in what you're saying. I'm going to pull them out. A lot of them will be in the show notes. But what would you say to parents right now that after listening, just really, really want to help their child have more hope? What would you see a couple of I guess, parting tips that you'd give them to do that they could do today that could help them. You bet. I think the first thing that I would do is work on your own hope. So as an adult, like what we prioritize and what's going on in our lives obviously trickles down to our kids in such a big way. So if we're feeling discouraged or angry or apathetic, you know, that's going to trickle down. And so working on our own hope is probably the number one thing. And, and then when you're hopeful, you're going to feel a lot better about helping that your, your um, child with their hope. So I, I would probably even just stop there. And then, cause when you're working on your own hope, it's going to be contagious. You're going to be learning all the structures of hope. You're going to be thinking about um, all that. There's so many different ways to build hope around your own spiritual life or your own physical life or emotional life or relational life. And, and those types of things, as you think about your own willpower and willpower, you're going to naturally interact with your kid a lot differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we can have willpower and then we can follow it up with, wait, I see a, a little path. All it takes is the smallest little pathway. I think of it sometimes like um, a whole cloudy sky and then one beam of light shoots shoot through the clouds and we're like, oh, there's sun up there. You know, it's it's what hope does for us. And I love that, that your number one tip is just for us to say, how can we be more hopeful? Mm-hmm. How can we build help in our, hope in our own life and believe that we can then uh, make a difference in our child's life in that exact same way? I run into so many parents when I do coaching, their underlying fear is that they're messing up, that mm-hmm. they're not good enough as parents, that they're not going to be up, that their kid won't. And, and yes, it's problem talk, but it's also real, real fear. Oh, yeah. That's scary. It's a fear. And it comes and and what it does is it sucks the hope away. Maybe I'm not good enough. So if we can begin to say, you know, if I was able to put a little bit of this hope in my child, what would that look like? If I was to believe that the best that they're going to do amazing and then how how can I act today that can help that help myself be more hopeful in order to. Uh, affect the world around you. I love that. I love that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so now we are officially at the end. So you need to tell us a little bit more about the things you do, the places you're at, where we might find you. If anyone's listening that actually needs an incredible workshop on all this type of stuff. Ah, yes. Um, and by the way, you, you can post a link to the Hope Instrument uh, on, on your site, Charles, so that okay. people can, can get it uh, directly from you. That's easy to do. We can do that. So I'm at Ohio State University, um, and <clears throat> we have uh, 
founded a conference called the Evidence-Based School Counseling Conference. So any school counselors that are, are listening that want to come learn what works, because that's all it's about is what actually works with kids. And so school counselors from the country and counselor educators from around the country and district leaders from around the country just come and share what works. And how do we know it works? Well, for example, one of my students is actually working on increasing hope uh, in students through use of true goals and measuring it and showing how it relates to the ASCA mindsets and behaviors. So he'll present, uh, if not, yeah, and probably next year um, about that as well. So some of my favorite stuff, um, Ian Levy, Dr. Ian Levy presents on like hip hop therapy and how hip hop therapy can uh, absolutely increase student success. So I mean, there's this it's a really fun conference. The people there are really amazing and people tend to find their people. Uh, my other areas, obviously, that I love are, are around protective factors and positive childhood experiences and hope. Um, I spend all my life uh, working with school districts around the country. I'll be in Arkansas in two days, then back to California next week and the week after that. And it's just I love doing it. Uh, we also we have a grant with uh, working with ELL families in Ohio, and we're doing the same thing. We're going to ask the ELL families how we can help and, like, what would the ideal solution focus almost uh, if they could have an ideal environment in the educational setting, what would that look like and how can we build it? If they're interested in hiring you, uh, do you have an email I can leave them with? Or? Yes. The email is my last name, dot one. So Z-Y-R-O-M-S-K-I dot one at O-S-U dot E-D-U. Okay. We'll put that in the show notes and – I know you're a busy man, but uh, these are the th- The reason why you are is because you're passionate for the things that make a difference. And I honestly believe that that's the main reason that um, I became a solution focused specialist is because of the aspect of hope and the aspect of giving children real uh, pathways towards the future that they should have. And um, and we need to bring in all of the different ways to do that. And that's exactly what we've done here today. Um and we'll just keep in touch. We'll just keep on over here, you over there in Ohio, and yeah. we'll keep on doing the good work, right? <laughs> Absolutely. We can reconnect next year and touch base on how our whole building processes have gone there and here, and we can just keep in touch. I really appreciate all the work that you're doing. I did um, listen to others of your podcasts, and uh, it's all very impactful work. So I, I thank you. Well, thank you for saying that, and I hope to be at your conference Uh you know, I think you need a solution-focused talk, so we'll see how that works. Absolutely. Goes. I would love that. It'd be great. <laughs> oh, well, this has been amazing. I want you to have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yep. Thanks for having me. What a great conversation. I'm so thankful for Brett for him to take his time with us. I know you'll probably listen back to that like I am going to because there's a lot of nuggets about how we can choose to have more hope and to help others do the same. More importantly, how we can make a difference in the level of hope in our own life. If you would like a copy of the hope tool, the um, the measuring tool that Brett was talking about, go to my website, thefocusedmindset.com, and I am going to place a button right on my homepage that says, get the free, I don't know, hope tool. <laughs> I haven't thought of the exact wording, but you'll see it. I want you to hop over there and get a copy of that so we can all be on the same page, so we can all build a higher level of hope in each level of life where we feel like we are slipping into a negative, unhelpful thought pattern. We can take those thoughts captive, those thoughts captive immediately and replace them 
with the hope building thoughts that brings us to a high level of resilience in our life. Check out the show notes. I'll have links below for you to reach out for you to get more information. Um, I'll have Brett's email on there if you'd like to reach out to him, especially if you're a school district. He does amazing workshops. If you would like to work with me, I encourage you to get together for what I call a discovery call. You and I can talk for about 20 minutes, see if we're a good fit to work together, and then we can enter into a coaching relationship with either you, your whole family, your child, see what your needs are, and choose to level up this summer. I hope to hear from you, and it's time for us to get going. So let's make today amazing, and until next time, keep in touch and take care.